Hi, thank you for listening. This is David Donaldson with America's Web Radio and Detailing Addictions with Dr. Susan Blank. Susan isn't with us today, so you have me as a guest. And, and my guests include Michael Daly, the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. Hello. And Dr. Tushina Bernadine, who is a second-year resident at the Gwinnett Medical Family Practice Residency Program. We're very fortunate at the Atlanta Healing Center to have, have residents join us for a month at a time. Um, while they're working in their second year, so they can have the the experience of, of of dealing with addiction and recognizing addiction and seeing how addiction impacts families as well as patients. Um, and one of the benefits that we have is then we get to drag them over here and have them on the radio. Um, so so Dr. Bernadina Bernadine has agreed to be on the show today, and and so you have an interesting topic from uh, from your own perspective you wanted to bring to us yes I do I do um, I was actually talking to my husband um, and basically this is how I came with, up with the topic um, he was just talking to me about just the whole stigma of mental illness um, addiction in the African American community and I thought that would be a great topic you know to discuss um, as someone who grew up in the African American community um, Mental illness is like it's just non-existent. Um, a lot of people um, will attribute it mainly um, because a lot of African Americans are Christian, faith-based. So they will attribute it to spiritual. It's like it's spirits, you know, or it's the demons or things of that nature. And don't really acknowledge that there is something chemically wrong, and they don't acknowledge it as an actual disease. Um, it's just something that is also not really even talked about. It's almost shameful in a way. And um, so, in this situation, you're talking about both mental health issues, mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, suicidal feelings, as well as addiction issues. Exactly. That n- anything pertaining to to illnesses of the brain are not being acknowledged or recognized so much as they're being just classified as a spiritual malady or a weakness. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Weakness is a a strong one, yeah. It's definitely a weakness, and I think um, within the black community, if you have some type of mental illness, it's deemed as you being weak, especially with black men, especially, because, you know, black men, they want to seem like they are the provider, the strong, you know, the strong... um, person in the family, you know, they're the ones that are supposed to carry the family, so if they have anything um, that is a mental illness, they won't acknowledge that, or if they do, it's, it's to them, it seems as though they're weak, and they, and they can't do those functions or those duties that a man, quote-unquote, should. So I think maybe we can step back just for a minute and get a little bit more information about you. Um, This being radio, as you have acknowledged, you did grow up in the African-American community, Uh um, and then you've moved on into studying medicine and and working in in Gwinnett County, Uh um, one of the three counties in the nation that has no predominant ethnic race, that it's it's a completely mixed county, which is, you know, brings a totally different perspective. Uh Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? and your own your own background yeah sure um so i am half jamaican so my father's jamaican my mother's american and um i'm actually from jacksonville florida so i grew up partly in jamaica but majority of my time was spent in jacksonville and my mom was a single parent um so we grew up in section 8 housing so section 8 housing you know low socioeconomic um background and um you you see a lot in those type of 
environments. You see the addiction. You see the, you know, you see all mental illnesses. Um, and most of it untreated. Yes. Oh, definitely untreated. I don't think I, growing up, I don't think I know anyone that got treatment for any for any of that for mental illness. Mm-hmm. So, um, so definitely went untreated. Um, but yeah, my my grandmother, um, she lived on the east side of Jacksonville. And at the time, the east side of Jacksonville was basically kind of like the drug capital. Okay. Yeah. So, um, in in when I was growing up, we would call a lot of the addicts crackheads. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how people deemed it. it they, they didn't look at it like, okay, well, this is an addiction. It looked at it like this is a drug. You you're a crackhead or you're a pill popper or those type of things that people would say. Um, so growing up, um, that's kind of what you saw. And, and there was, honestly, there's really not much empathy in the African-American community in regards to that. Um, it's kind of almost like you got you got yourself into this, not like there is something really wrong. You know? right. it's, it's like you did this to yourself. And I think that is the um, hardest thing. And I think, you know, especially since I've been working with you all, I realize a lot of the the things that people go through growing up, they um, they don't know how to deal with it. And especially, like I said, in the black community, you, we were talking about PTSD not too long ago. A lot of people get raped by family members, molested by family members, but they're so shameful. They don't talk about it in their in the in the families. It's just you know, it's taboo. Yeah, and anything that's taboo is better off left unsaid. Exactly. So how do those people cope? How right. do they cope? They self-medicate. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's interesting that you bring up PTSD because, um, you know, as, as I was do- looking at some reading for this show, it talked about not only the, the high percentages of, of African Americans with mental health disorders that go undiagnosed um, or misdiagnosed, but also the, the high percentage of those people that have legitimate PTSD. Um, and, and one of the big symptoms of PTSD is an inability to form trusting relationships. And and so that automatically puts them at a barrier to being able to get any help because they're already at a place where they can't establish trust. Well, and and their their community that for most people there's a part of the community that will be helpful towards getting them help and towards moving them to the right people for for treatment you know whereas i think that in your community with with the thought that all of this is is basically the fault of their own and if they just got right with god or or with their higher power things would be better Mm -hmm. and it's a choice and it's just perpetuated year after year, generation after generation, and it leaves out that whole thought of um, addiction being genetic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <coughs> so now, how did you find yourself going from the the Jacksonville to to family practice medicine in Gwinnett, Medi- in Gwinnett County, Georgia? Well. Um I've always been a science lover since I was in high school, and I just love the human body. I think it's fascinating. I think every aspect of the human body is fascinating, especially the mind. Um, And I initially wanted to be a geneticist until I realized that I love interacting with people. I just Mm -hmm. can't sit behind a desk and not see the lives that I'm impacting. And that's when I realized I wanted to be a doctor. So um, I basically, I always loved Atlanta. 
I thought Atlanta was actually a really great city for African Americans. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why I chose to come here and go to school here. Um, and I guess you can say that's how I ended up in Gwinnett. My, I met my husband in undergrad. We both moved up here together. And um, he has an amazing job, so I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and we're very lucky about that. We're lucky to have some good doctors who are also taking the time to learn about mental health and, and addiction issues before they go into their own practices. Well, and that's what I was going to say, that um, at the Atlanta Healing Center, we're so thankful that um, we get the opportunity to help you all and to have you do a rotation because we can help impart some of this information that we think is really helpful and useful for physicians to use throughout their careers. Mm -hmm. And by opening up their thought process, it's like giving you a new perspective. Mm -hmm. Agree. I completely agree. And it really helps us. Yeah, it absolutely helps us. Um, and, and part of the, the emphasis that we put on it is, is that, as you've experienced, that we really want family members to hear. I mean, we want physicians to hear the family member side, mm-hmm. because because that's where you really hear the the struggle and the pain and the powerlessness. Um, you hear a lot, actually, of the same stigmas and the same embarrassments related mm-hmm. to having this disease um, for people that are finding a safe place to push through that. I agree. I think. Um I shared with you all last week in regards to a friend of mine, and um, I wholeheartedly uh, like can empathize with the families because I feel like um, for my particular situation and my friend, I, I guess, and I think it's probably my fault, um, but um, sometimes I get I get angry, and I think that's just kind of like a reaction, you know, you know, when you're when you're growing up in a certain community, when you see someone doing this to themselves it's almost like you're just you're upset with them like why mm-hmm. why are you doing this i just don't understand mm-hmm. and i know it's not the appropriate response but it's almost as if honestly it's like it's almost as if i can't help but just be mad like i just i just want to shake you out of this like you know like i just come out of it you know? so you know exactly how many of the uh, loved ones mm-hmm. of the person with addiction is feeling mm-hmm. and and is struggling with knowing that there should be some empathy, but but also having that inner anger. Yes, yes, and, and that internal that message of weakness mm-hmm. that you know gets programmed in. Yeah, you know, if you're growing up in an environment where someone who has um, um, an illness or a, a crackhead, as you mm-hmm. said, is a weak person, or they brought this on themselves, getting to a place where you can own it so that it doesn't influence your future work. Mm-hmm. Not that you erase it, because it definitely has an impact, but that you you know it's there. Right. No, I completely agree. I think um, self-awareness is the biggest thing, and knowing what your own biases are, mm-hmm. I think it's important. So uh, I've learned so much through this rotation. You all have no idea. Um, and especially talking to the families. It's been, it's been amazing hearing their stories and and also, I, I feel like addiction affects everyone. There is not, I don't think there's anyone I know that doesn't know somebody that's addicted. Right. And I just don't, again, I, I also personally don't think it's addiction is something that um, as a society we really um, deal with on a, on a grand scale. I mean, now I, I think I hear about it more on the news, but it's like it's been so, it's taken so long when this right. has been going on for so long. Right. You know? And I think that um, it's interesting because of because of the news and because of 
the opioid epidemic that that we have and 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 the truthful um, knowing that it's a problem that has been perpetuated by the use of prescription drugs turning to heroin going downhill from there um, so it's 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 really in full front in the news more than it was any time before so we are glad you're in Gwinnett and we're glad your husband is, is um, happily established here and y'all aren't going anywhere <laughs> um, back to the, the topic that you brought with us in terms of looking at, at the impact of stigmatism or stigmatism of of, of having biases and, and um, barriers for the African American community um, the what have you found in your own experience to help begin walking through that process? Um, definitely erasing the thought that if you have a mental illness, you're crazy. Because that is the word that is used, even with my African-American patients that I see now. If I do a simple dis- depression screen, I ask about suicidal ideation, um, you know, wanting to harm others or if they're feeling sad or down. Like if I ask any of those questions, the first thing that comes out their mouth is, I'm not crazy. (laughs) And you're like, first of all, crazy is not like, that's not what we're doing here. You know, we're not, I just, I think, I think erasing that word crazy out of our vocabulary, um, would be a, a step forward and also, um, more education and just open communication about it. I think, we could start to erase some of the stigmas um, that I- involve mental illness um, because we we get so caught up in being weak, like I said, you know, just being weak and um, being crazy and concerned about what other people are thinking. Um, I think if we make it more of a table discussion, then, you know, we could start somewhere. I absolutely agree, and I think getting back to that word is is a a great place for us to start in the next segment. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to jump more into the word crazy. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. 
Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Detailing Addictions with Dr. Susan Blank. I'm David Donaldson, guest hosting today, and I'm here joined by Michael Daly and Dr. Tashina Bernadine um, from the Gwinnett Family Medicine Residence Program. We are talking about the um, about the barriers to treatment and the barriers to to services for the African American community. And part of what you had you had just talked about is that wall of "I'm not crazy." Yes. The the mental health issues and those although we are dealing with the with the issues of the brain, mm-hmm. the reaction is I'm not crazy and that becomes a wall that kinda stops anything. And and from what I was reading, real often what that ends up with is somebody is just given a schizophrenia diagnosis mm-hmm. and people don't dig in further. They mm-hmm. throw medications and so the person doesn't really get help with their major depression, they don't get help with their PTSD, they just get your schizophrenic and here's some um, antipsychotic. antipsychotics and go away. Um, how is how is, how is that, that y'all in your practice are beginning to deal with the word I'm crazy? Well, I'm, um, not, crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm not crazy. Uh, one thing I definitely um, let my patients know that mental illness is just like diabetes, mm-hmm. high blood pressure, um, high cholesterol. It's a disease. And just like you get those things treated and you follow up on those conditions, same thing with mental illness. It's not a um, I'm crazy. It's it's an organ, just like any other organ in your body. Some of those organs, you know, go raised, you know. So I let them know that just like you need to treat your hypertension, you need to treat your mental illness, whether that be with medication, whether that be with counseling. At the end of the day, it, it is a it is a disease, and it's not just a quote-unquote crazy person thing. Right, and, and I think that um, I don't know what your experience is so far, but but working with Dr. Blank is, is very interesting to see how she brings in the hormonal component with the mental health component, and that all ties together that your mental health and your physical health your your gut reaction is is so connected uh-huh. and how your hormones can be out of balance and we could give a person all the SSRIs or all the antipsychotic medication in there is uh-huh. and still not hit the problem right i agree and, and it's really interesting to see how many times we get people in that complain of certain symptoms, which their general practitioner was giving them medication for that didn't help. Right. And then they they look at it they in a different... Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they feel like, well, I'm not, I'm not feeling better. Uh, I'm not getting better. Um, working with Dr. Blank, I asked her so many questions after a session. <laughs> and um, one thing that I've learned on this rotation is someone can be depressed, but 
what neurotransmitter is lacking. Mm-hmm. And based on that neurotransmitter, how do you treat it? Um, one thing I will say, and it's, I mean, you know, I love family medicine, but we are taught evidence-based medicine. And a lot of the research and topics that come out is first line for depression period is SSRIs. Mm-hmm. And coming to this practice and hearing that, I was like, oh my gosh, like really? So, you know, because I see, you know, she'll treat with Wellbutrin and things like that. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, 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 I have a, a new outlook on just the entire treatment process. And it makes me want to even go back and go through and review all of those drugs and what neurotransmitters they are affect, you know, they, they um, affect. So I. Um, well, and just in, in my little bit of knowledge about this type of a subject, I think that when, when you get to the point where you are saying, I need to go back and review and I need to kind of relook at my, my learned mm-hmm. um, reaction and start to think about it differently is wonderful. Because when you start to talk to patients about hormones or neurotransmitters rather than depression, um, anxiety, um, these buzzwords that you hear all the time, you can kind of break through that that wall. I agree. I, I mean, if, if you tell somebody, hey, we're going to look at your hormones and see what's going on here, they're much more inclined to say, oh, maybe it is hormonal. Mm-hmm. Because... Well, and I think that that's part of, of your, your emphasis of today's topic is so crucial because that's that takes another element of trust. Yeah. To be able to say, okay, we're going to stop and look at what? You know, um, I'm expecting you're going to give me some... Some, something to make me feel better and I'll go away and we won't have to ever talk again but you're wanting to build a relationship with your cl- with your patients right? where you're wanting them to give you blood and let them test a lot of things mm-hmm. which is things that I know the black community has had some significant issues with mm-hmm. um, in particular when in our practice we know that so much of it is nutrition based and so much of it is getting a good night's sleep mm-hmm. two areas that are if you're growing up in in um, the the more impacted areas from the drug addiction, you, you know if there are gunshots going off or if the, right. the the you aren't having a standard three meals a day life, that's going to impact all of these things. Right. No, I agree. Um, so I was actually doing research, and I, I actually found out that there is like. 20 or 25 percent of African Americans that will actually report having some type of some type of psychological stressor, mm-hmm. and um, and that is because of the environment that we live in. So we are definitely more prone to mental illness just based off of our upbringing and the things that we've been exposed to. Um, so I definitely think um, being able to present it in a way to patients more as a chemical. Um, you know, balance type of thing as opposed to the word depression or the mm-hmm. word anxiety. I think that'll, you know, take them away from that word crazy. Right. Because I think um, when they start using, I think that's probably why they, there is such a, a lack of empathy for mental illness is because they associate it with being crazy. So if you're crazy, then it's it's you you're not going to empathize with someone that you feel is quote unquote crazy. So I think if we um, start on that path, then 
um, we can we can get a lot accomplished. Absolutely. Um, yes, and um, I know just to trail back with um, addiction. I actually I I was thinking about um, one of the things like I have a a, a cousin who is um, uh, I think it's cocaine, but she's she's an addict, and um, she's been in remission several times. Um, and she's relapsed, obviously, several times. And one of the things that I, I've seen within my family is if she, knowing that she's an addict and all of us knew she was on crack or cocaine or whatever, and during her, you know, remission phase where she was clean and we're at holiday parties, it's always like, here's this glass of wine, here's this <laughs> drink, you know, let's all cheers. And I think that, again, there's that lack of empathy and understanding that this is a disease and you just can't give someone yeah cocaine might have been her drug of choice but you can't just give somebody alcohol who is an addict right and say here let's cheers like right. you know be, and there there is just that there it's just it's miseducation there is like there is not enough education out there um and again it's it's you know because there is no education out there it's that's what i think perpetuates the lack of empathy well but that's across the board because I, I believe that even in most um, people's lives, when they first get sober, they think, well, this is this drug is my problem. So if I just take care of this drug, then I'm fine with all the other things. Right. But there, that's what we try to help educate them that you know it's a disease of the brain. Mm-hmm. It's not about the drug. Mm-hmm. So. A person that gives up one drug and still continues to use another will learn to love that other drug and probably go back to their original love of which drug is what type. comes from education from patients they, mm-hmm. that that are at a program that includes family education um, and and that the family members have time to come to that family education and learn all of that. Part of what we really emphasize is that. Um, relapse is a part of the disease of addiction and if you're not working a a recovery program that you're going to be in that disease you know and so um, when they get thrown at them that they have a weakness because they're exhibiting the symptoms of the disease Mm -hmm. that that pushes them further away Um, and so I think that that the same miscommunications happen within you know every community but I think that it gets a different emphasis or the consequence tends to be greater right? Um, because of the, the further shaming of, of weakness and crazy. Right. And it's always interesting, and I don't know if you've noticed this or seen it, but when you see the family starting to gain knowledge about the disease of addiction or the disease of depression, the patient gets better quicker. That's true. That is true. I have noticed that. And I, I think that it's because when somebody, be, you know, gets educated on, on it, who is their support system, they're more apt to be helpful with things that they wouldn't have think, you know, thought about prior to that. Right. No, I agree. I think um, one of the biggest things that I, I think I've taken just by being with you all is being able to adequately educate my patients because I have patients that come in and they deal with family members who are addicts mm-hmm. or they deal with family members who have mental illness and I think I'm I'm at a place now where I can um, I can 
you know, relate to what they're going through and also educate them on what addiction is. Mm -hmm. Because some, you know, before I even started this, I was lost. I didn't know, like, what do, what do, what do I say? You know, what, you know, what, what's right? What's wrong? What, what questions should I ask? Would it be inappropriate if I asked what drug they like, you know? So it was, it was a lot of questions that I had before I started this rotation. And now coming to a close um, of the rotation, I feel as though I'm a lot more comfortable and, and, and able to educate my patients a little bit more in regards to just what addiction is because I've learned so much. Like I, before I came here, I didn't know that it was just a, 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 not a, not a disease of drug. It was literally just a disease of the brain. Mm -hmm. So I think it's been, I think every physician should. <laughs> Absolutely. We fully agree with that. We are going to take another break. And, and when we come back, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper into the, um, the barriers for African-Americans in the, in the recovery world. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hi, welcome back. This is David Donaldson filling in today for Dr. Susan Blank and Detailing Addictions. I'm here today with Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center and with Dr. Bernadine um, um, from the Gwinnett Family Medicine residency program and we are talking about um, about the african-american community and barriers to their receiving mental health and addiction treatment um, 
we I wanted to spend some time specifically around um, around the the mistrust of the medical community that is experienced within the, the black community and, and from my background the, there's three big areas that that mistrust comes from the first one is the the classic the Tus- Tuskegee experiments in which black men were not told about diagnoses of syphilis so mm-hmm. that we could see how that disease progresses um, the, the second one with the, the with the disproportionate drafting with Vietnam and and then the third one is the the um, different laws related to the possession of cocaine versus the pr- possession of crack, mm-hmm. whereas cocaine would have a much softer sentence, and cocaine was was classically more of a white drug, and crack was um, was severely punished, five to ten years in prison, and it was at that time in the eighties, nineties, much more of a uh, African American drug. Are those is that are those three still? In your experience growing up and in your experience in education, the big areas that impact the trust? Yes, definitely. For one, like with the Tuskegee trial, um, that goes back to obviously um, discrimination. You know, um, so they, they're black men. They were discriminated against. There's racism. There's like, oh, let's treat these group of people like just, you know, lab rats, you know. So that's, that is strongly how the African-American community feels about the Tuskegee um, situation. So a lot of, especially black men, unfortunately, with any disease, do not seek treatment for anything because of that, you know, fear of, of being given something that will more, more likely harm them mm-hmm. than actually treat them. Mm-hmm. Or so, not treat them at all. Exactly. So that is that is a, a big one, um, you know, uh, discrimination, uh, racism. Those are all uh, risk factors um, in the black community that um, that aids to addiction and, and any any mental illness. Um, the other with the crack versus cocaine. Again, I don't I, I don't know if it's more discrimination. I don't know who came up with the crack versus cocaine law, but it's known that more African Americans afford, can afford crack. So they use crack, but yet the the punishment for it is is more severe than it is for cocaine. Um, even when I was doing my research, I didn't realize that sixty um, percent of the like prison population is African Americans, mm-hmm. and about thirty four percent of those people that are in prison are there for drug charges. Possession. Yeah, possession. Dr- yeah, possession. Yeah. Right. When only. I think it was 14. It's a very small percentage that are actually, you know, to make up the drug user population, about 14%. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, being an African-American female, I either look at that as um, discrimination um, versus just, uh, I'll say racial discrimination versus socioeconomic discrimination. But to me, I feel like they're kind of one in the same mm-hmm. because, um the the African American community as a whole is is more um, concentrated in the low socioeconomic pool of America. So, um, well, and I think during the break we were also talking a little bit about the fact that you don't see a lot of black therapists, yeah. you don't see a lot of black psychiatrists, you don't see a lot of black um, professionals that are that are there to be helpful and help mitigate some of this i agree now i do think that social the social work you know portion there's there's some black 
interaction there, but that's more social than it is the um, psychological and the treatment based. So we have to, as a society, get more equitable distribution. I agree. I do agree. I think um, another thing that we should do as a society, or even not should, but something that is recommended, and I think um, would kind of start bridging that gap, is just cultural awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just as a whole, being you know, being more um, empathetic to other cultures and and um, and just open and understanding. I think African Americans would be more willing, at least. I would hope to seek treatment to, um, you know, to become a little bit more trust, trusting, um, because right now it's that isn't the case. And I mean, it is unfortunate that there aren't a lot of uh, African-Americans that are professionals. There aren't a lot of African-Americans that are psychiatrists or psychologists. Mm-hmm. I think only four percent. Uh, yeah, of psychiatrists. Yeah, are oh, actually, I think I, I read somewhere most recent it's actually two percent. Two percent, so less down. than yeah. what I was actually yeah. thinking. Um, yeah. And I think that there's a lot of other areas of medicine where they're more highly represented. But when we're we're, we're dealing specifically with the organ, the brain, mm-hmm. and and beginning to find healing there, and in particular helping get accurate diagnosis and, and appropriate treatment. Um, I'm finding ways to recruit more into that area of medicine. Um, is I think very very important. I do agree. Um, so we can get you recruited into. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I honestly, uh, as a family physician, I really do want to be an all encompassing family physician. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to deal with, you know, the mental illness side of things, but I also want to be knowledgeable enough to know when to send out because obviously I'm a family physician, so there, are, I, it's not, I can't do every single thing. Right. But I still want to be, you know, there. You know, for my patient. And one thing I do love about our program is, especially with Carol Miner, is diving into the socioeconomic um, background of our patients and understanding where they are and even asking those questions that you're, you don't want to, you don't really want to ask. I know I had a patient one time that I asked um, if she had ever had any physical, mental, or sexual abuse as a child. And just by asking that question, I was able to go further, and and I found that she had post-traumatic stress, she had depression, and all these things that I think, had I never even got this detailed um, medical history, I would have never known, and I would have never thought to ask. And I think um, mental health plays a big role in your overall health. Absolutely. So if you don't um, address that, I think you're doing a disservice to your patient. So... um, so it is definitely something that I, I, I want to to make sure I address because um, it's only a, a small percentage of African-Americans. It was 25% that actually seek care compared to 40% of whites that, to seek care for mental mm-hmm. illness. And uh, I notice in my, in my practice, if I don't ask, they don't tell. Right. So, yeah. And if you're dealing with addiction, that's always the case. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the race, if you don't ask the question correctly, you're not going to get the answer. Um, and generally, the answer is going to be a minimization of whatever the answer was anyway. So, you know, if you ask how many drinks you have, you're going to get two. I only had two drinks. That's always the answer. But having the time to, to build the relationship and to dig in and go deeper 
we'll get them to a place where they're able to open up and, and actually ask that question. I, I really love the the experience that y'all get with the um, with the Strickland Clinic in the sense that um, part of what we often talked about is unless you've walked a mile in their shoes, you have no idea how to really connect with them. And, and part of what Carol Miner does in her practice is give you guys the opportunity to rock, walk in your client's shoes, um, sending you out to to find out what it feels like to apply for welfare, to apply for food right. assistance, and, and telling you this is all you have for a week. you got to figure out how to live on $20 a, a day. Yeah. Those kind of experiences, um, I, I'm sure, have, have given you another perspective. No, I, I completely agree. That, um, that experience that we got last year was amazing. Just understanding the struggle, and it is a struggle, not having insurance, not having the means um, to support your family. And not even having the, the automobile that yeah. to get from your home to the whatever clinic it is that happens to be eight miles away or, um, you know, figuring out which bus you need to take. Yes. And one thing I've learned is that Gaudet County does not have enough sidewalks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's a safety issue there. But, um, but yeah, I definitely, I've, I've learned a lot just being able to, to empathize uh, with my patients. Um, so I am very appreciative of, of my program. I think it'll overall make me a better doctor. Absolutely. So, I actually had a question for you guys. Um, well, I guess David, David, you're a therapist. I was just wondering, um, like, what have you seen in your own practice in regards to African Americans and how open, I guess, they are to um, receiving treatment? Um, our current practice doesn't tend to have that that many African Americans that um, seek treatment there, um, for for I, I guess a number of reasons. Um, the ones who have come. Um, they find it's a very welcoming, um, open experience where at our practice people will talk about absolutely anything and everything and, and they know that they're going to be honored and it's going to be fine to talk about those things. Um, so the ones who, who do come through our door um, tend to, to have a very um, beneficial experience. I, um, in my own background, did initially some training in social work, and so part of that is is um, work with Atlanta Senior Citizen Services, and, and so that was going to different homes and doing um, needs inventories and, and getting to know um, the, the situations that people were living in, so similar to what you had to do in terms of just really going in and meeting people where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, that was a pretty eye-opening experience to to sit down and talk with them and, and help them with Meals on Wheels and help them to know that they qualify for a lot of different services and, and find the right way to ask the questions. Um, but it's really been a progression. Um, one of my my favorite educators in town for our continuing in our in our field, we have to have a certain number of continuing education every year. And one of my that? favorite in town is um, a guy named Gary Bird in downtown Atlanta with high impact training. That he he makes everything incredibly real, um, from the black experience, from the white experience, from the crackhead, from the dopehead to whichever topic he makes it very very real and a lot of his his practice now is is anger management um, and dealing with family violence and um, the the addicted population and the family violence population is so tightly wrapped mm-hmm. um, so that's been 
incredibly beneficial for me and I think has helped in, in opening that up. We are going to take another break, and when we return, we will um, delve further into this topic. Thank you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Detailing Addictions with Dr. Susan Blink. I'm David Donaldson, guest guest leading today with uh, Michael Daly and with our guest, Dr. Tish- Dr. Toshina um, Bernadine, and we're talking about the impact of addiction and barriers to treatment in the African-American community. She's kind of turning the table on us and throwing some <laughs> questions our direction, and, and so a couple more questions. Yes, I do. I have I actually have two more questions. <laughs> um, but my other question was, um, just in your opinion, I, I, I spoke earlier about, you know, what I think would be a, a great way to kind of bridge the gap and erase some of the stigmas with mental illness in the African-American community. Um, but I was also just wondering, what is your opinion? What what do you think would be, um, uh, I guess, um, a, a step forward in, in, in bridging that gap and, and preventing those stigmas? Michael, you want to go first? Yeah, I think that... Um, as far as my role at Atlanta Healing Center is, is generally I take the phone call from the family member who's calling about um, their loved one. And so I get their story in a nutshell, um, and I help to educate the person that's calling about the disease of addiction or, or the disease of, of whatever we're looking at. 
And it's interesting when you can break it down into educational information rather than preconceived ideas. And that's one of the reasons I hate the term behavioral health, because behavioral health makes it seem like your behavior is causing that, which it which it may very well be, but it throws in the the, the idea of choice. It, exactly, it makes it sound like you're choosing these behaviors, right. as opposed to the the reality that the brain that we're the mind that we're working on is making those choices. Right, um, and 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 so if we talk about an imbalance of chemicals or an overabundance of serotonin or a overabundance of whatever it is that's causing this person to continually use or to self-medicate, then you can break it into these are things that somebody is doing to alleviate the problem that they're having. And and that that takes away some of this fault. Mm-hmm. Because if, if we can if we can mitigate the fault and just say let's come up with a solution and let's work together as a team, then it helps bridge that gap. Because people are, are more apt to learn for themselves and in turn they're able to help their loved one better I agree. part of what um part of what michael does so well is is really take time to listen to the person who's calling to hear their story and and then to to take time to provide a, a significant amount of education in that initial phone call um so even if um there's barriers to their receiving treatment with us um, financially or whatever it is that they are still um, they're still ha- having the experience of being heard and and have the experience of um, an empathetic response and and some some new insights into what they're dealing with as well as some different resources to for what to look for um, which I, I think is a crucial part of it um, when you can help some when you can allow somebody to know that they've been heard that that in and of itself begins to 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 heal some of the barriers, and, and in particular, the PTSD issues, the trust issues, and the the um, the impact of, of those illnesses. I agree. I think um, just to settle on that, I, I feel like I don't I don't see enough like broadcast or you know you'll see billboards about diabetic medication or about how to improve your diabetes or things like that i don't feel as though we see enough about mental illness that's broadcasted like explaining and putting out there to the public that it's you know it's a chemical it's you know chemical imbalance it's not you know quote unquote crazy i think i would love to to see a little bit more i think i think that um for a while i was noticing on on television that some of the celebrities would come out and say you know hey i have i have a bipolar disorder or i have a depression disorder um and we were starting to see more people admitting to some of these mental health problems which kind of gives the average person the thought well if the celebrity is dealing with this maybe i can deal with this and it it not be a stigma um i think that one of the things that i've i've noticed is for a long time 
you would think of people that were uninsured not being able to get help. Mm-hmm. But what I'm seeing now is even people with quote unquote good or top line insurance, their their behavioral health portion is a whole different set of rules. And much of the services that that are needed are having to be paid out of pocket because of the the insurance not covering it. So that's sort of leveled the playing field Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that we have to help people understand that it's money well spent to get from point A to point B. And helping them understand that it's not a stigma, that it's something that they need to do in order to get better and for their family to grow is is just part of that whole process. I agree. It's funny that you went into that because my other question was going to basically ask if you thought as a America were we in the at the forefront of treating of diagnosing and treating mental illness, especially addiction. And just to hear what you said about the insurance, um, I recently learned this maybe a, about a week now that um, they separate the insurance for mental health and for everything else medical, mm-hmm. even like the diagnosis codes and everything. Right. And I was like appalled. I was like, what? So you're, you, you know, you're separating the mind from the rest of the body. It doesn't, it's not one and the same. It's, you know, I was, I was really shocked. I did not know that. And then to hear that some people don't even, even when you're getting your benefits package, that mental health portion is not even included. It's not discussed. Well, and it's supposed to be part of, part of the, the law changes, the Parity Act was to, make sure that insurance companies were treating the brain just like any other organ in the body. But that that tends to change with legislation and tends to change with, with who's currently occupying the White House. So hopefully as we advance to a point where we recognize that the, the brain is the master computer for the rest of the system, we can get that reconnected. Um, but I do... Agree with you that it's really a surprise to when you're when you're even in medical school discovering we have our, our manual what is the Merrick's manual or mm-hmm. or yeah. for all of the physical illnesses mm-hmm. and then we have the diagnostic and statistical manual for mental health issues mm-hmm. and for substance abuse issues and it's these two books just don't have any they never meet right except used, in, in real life they're so intertwined and connected. Right. Um, and I do think, actually, that, that America is in the forefront in a lot of this research. Um, I've, I've been a part of, um, of helping set up treatment centers in other countries. I've known many people who've traveled to China, to travel to Indonesia, who've traveled to Turkey. To, and Dr. Blank has traveled to a lot of those places to help them bring the American model of, of recovery to, to those places. Um, but I also think that right now America is kind of in a its own struggle with it. I think in the 80s and 90s, um, there was a, a lot more going on in the the addiction recovery community um, that really changed when the insurance industry, industry changed. Um, once upon a time, companies could work with somebody for whatever their insurance co- would cover, and they didn't have to have a big battle with copay. 
now companies absolutely have to collect that copay, and that copay has gotten so expensive that that drives a lot of people away. But as you had said, even in the, the playing ground. Right. And I think that during the 80s and early 90s, um, people were, were going to these episodes of treatment for 90 to 120, 180 days, and they were getting out of this confined um, kind of in-house treatment and then slipping. And then they would be sent back. And, and it got so astronomically expensive that that it was almost the insurance companies were feeling very taken advantage of because it's a disease that, that's chronic. And if you do have a relapse, it's not picking up where you stopped. It's starting all the way back over again. That so was the old model. That was the, the old model, model. that we talk about is, okay, we've had the slip. We need to figure out why and we need to move forward. And that involves, you know, developing trust and developing relationships with people as opposed to one episode of treatment. We're going to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining us today and um, being a part of our practice this month. No problem. No problem. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you again. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.